The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to a special episode of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are going to be talking about the newest release from Marvel Studios, Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok was released on Friday, November 3rd. It is directed by Taika Watiti and stars Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Kate Blanchett, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum, Tessa Thompson, Carl Urban and Mark Ruffalo. For those who are keeping track, this is the 17th addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the third standalone Thor film following 2011's Thor and 2013's Thor The Dark World. So it has been four years since we have had a solo Thor outing. So without further ado, let's get into the movie. Big picture overall, I really enjoyed this film. It is a lot of fun. It is a very over-the-top, dialed to a big bold film with a lot of action and adventure just enough heart that it really fits into the rest of the marvel universe and it is visually a very attractive movie the general plot coming from imdb is that thor is imprisoned on the other side of the universe and finds himself in a race against time to get back to asgard to stop ragnarok the destruction of his homeworld and the end of asgardian civilization at the hands of an all-powerful new threat the ruthless hella the plot is kind of an amalgamation of several different Marvel storylines. The Hela plotline is really kind of a, a combination of a couple. It pulls from a portion of New Mutants and a portion of Walt Simonson's run on Thor from the mid-80s. And then obviously the Hulk-Thor parts come from Planet Hulk. I think in general they did a really good job of combining, I wouldn't call them disparate elements, but I would call them various elements from a number of different storylines to make a fairly seamless amalgamation that is faithful enough to the source material that you don't feel utterly betrayed, but is different enough that it has its own feel and its own flow to it. Obviously, Thor doesn't particularly play any part in the Planet Hulk story, nor does Hulk really play any part in any of the Thor stories involving Hela. In fact, the parts that are taken from New Mutants really don't even focus that much on Thor, focus primarily on the New Mutants themselves, who are nowhere to be seen in this film for obvious licensing agreements reasons. I really enjoyed the idea of Thor having to deal with life without his hammer. I've been a big fan the last couple of years of the concept of unworthy Thor and what they've done with that character as Thor Odinson. Now in this case, Thor isn't unworthy, but the fact is that Mjolnir is destroyed very early in the film by Hela. So as the film starts off, Thor is facing off against Sartor, who is destined to bring about Ragnarok. And Thor is looking to prevent that, so he takes Sartor's crown, effectively his head, and brings it back and places it into Odin's armory. Now when he arrives back in Asgard, he finds Odin lounging around, watching a play called The Tragedy of Loki 
in which the events of Thor the Dark World are played out in a slightly different manner, being far more positive and forgiving towards Loki. Now, as it turns out, and if you remember from the end of Thor the Dark World, Odin is in fact Loki in disguise, and Thor quickly unmasks him. Thor and Loki then take off to New York to go find Odin. Odin is not where he is expected to be, and the pair are given better direction by Dr. Stephen Strange. We actually have seen some of that footage already as one of the Easter eggs at the end of Doctor Strange. It is the same scene between Doctor Strange and Thor with a bit more expansion. The scene's probably about five minutes long as opposed to the minute and a half or so that we saw at the end of Doctor Strange. So with this... Thor and Loki are able to find Odin, who then reveals that he is near death, and as is often the case in movies and sometimes in real life, Odin has a deathbed confessional that Thor and Loki have a sister, Hela, that she was out of control and so that he imprisoned her, and that his life force is the only thing holding that imprisonment in place, that when he passes, Hela will return and bring about Ragnarok, the end of Asgardian society. So after their conversation, conversation, Odin does in fact pass, Hela returns almost immediately, and Thor and Loki are unable to stop her. Hela destroys Mjolnir, and as Loki and Thor retreat back to Asgard, Hela follows them up the Bifrost. Thor and Loki are pushed out of the Bifrost, and because of the spatial phenomenon that the Bifrost actually is, Thor and Loki eventually end up on the Grandmaster's planet, but they arrive several weeks apart, and Thor ends up imprisoned as a gladiator. From there, Thor meets up with Hulk. Eventually, the pair also team up with Valkyrie, and they eventually make their way back to Asgard in an attempt to prevent Hela from bringing about the end of Asgard, bringing about Ragnarok. So, that's not really a nutshell, but that's a a pretty good description of at least the setup of the film, if not the entire execution of it. I enjoy the plot. At 2 hours and 10 minutes, it does feel like it might be a a touch long. We definitely dwell on certain things and in certain places, I think, a little bit longer than we need to. But overall, I don't have any huge arguments with the plot. It again is very Marvel formulaic, but to be fair, that formula's worked out for them pretty well. And in this case, I think with everything dialed to 11 as it is, even, even the plot, and the dialogue, that formula works, I don't want to say better, but it doesn't feel stale. It doesn't feel like we've done this 17 times before. As far as the dialogue goes, it's weird for me, because I think if this were a different movie, I would not like the dialogue anywhere near as much. I wouldn't really like the style of jokes. It's a little too quirky for my taste normally. I think under the circumstances and given how off the wall the entire setup is, I'm okay with it and I did find it really funny but I could see similar jokes in something like a Seth Rogen comedy just pissing me off I think context mattered a lot there but I also think it was probably as far edgy as my taste is willing to take me now there were a lot of really great moments in this film 
the deathbed confessional of Odin to Thor and to Loki was really pretty touching. And to be fair, a lot of that owes to the fact that Odin is played by Anthony Hopkins. When you have an actor of that gravitas playing a character, when they give a meaningful performance, it tends to feel more meaningful. That's not to say that a lesser actor couldn't do that, but there's a reason you hire Anthony Hopkins to be a character like Odin, because he can do it very, very well. There are also some really nice moments between most of the characters, between Thor and Hulk especially, and Mark Ruffalo does a really great job as Hulk and Banner in this one. The last time we saw Hulk was at the end of Age of Ultron, and he has not been seen since. And when Thor finds him, he is still very much Hulk. And we find out that he has been Hulk for over two years. And that uh, finally when Hulk turns back into Banner, Banner talks about the level of control that Hulk had and how much more control Hulk had this time than at any other time. He describes it as before both of them having a hand on the wheel and this time Hulk has the keys and he's locked in the trunk. And Ruffalo also does a really good job of portraying Banner as someone who's thrown into a really messed up situation. He's trying to deal with the fact that he hasn't been himself for two years, that Hulk has been in charge, and the fact that he's on this alien planet, and just, there is so much for Banner to take in. And Ruffalo does a really great job of conveying that sense of overwhelmed. There's also some really great moments between Chris Hemsworth as Thor and Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. Valkyrie is very much a person running from her past. She is the the only surviving Valkyrie, the other Valkyries having fallen against Hela the last time she was free before Odin imprisoned her. And she has attempted to forget everything and to go on with her life, but it's not really much of a life. She drinks heavily. She no longer lives by the same code that she used to. Valkyries have a very strict code of honor, and Valkyrie's obviously given that up. And it takes a little bit of mental pride if you will, by Loki to get her to come back around. Not that Loki's particularly helpful, he actually just reaches in her mind and makes her relive those memories in order to get away from her during a fight. In the end, it doesn't really work, but, you know, it, it was at least worth a shot. And then, finally, we get a lot more great Thor and Loki moments. And as much as this is portrayed as a Hulk-Thor buddy film, which I think we've all kind of been looking forward to since that point in Avengers in Grand Central Station where... Hulk just punches Thor to the side. Ever since that moment, we've been waiting for this. But I think Thor and Loki, even though there's a fair amount of animosity between the two of them, there is also a lot of heart there. And you know, Thor is at a point where he's not really angry at Loki anymore. It's just Loki being Loki. Anyone who's ever dealt with a family member who's difficult, especially someone who is going through something like addiction, you know, alcoholism, any kind of, I would say, you know, major personality disorder, or even in some cases, certain forms of mental illness understand that after a while you no longer get upset you no longer get angry when they do things you just kind of shut down and kind of are fed up with it and that's the exactly the point at which we find Thor when it comes out that Loki has hidden away the real Odin and they're only able to find him just before he dies while Thor is upset it doesn't surprise him in any way and he really is just kind of done with Loki and done with his antics but as we go through the film the two of them really come to kind of an understanding of one another that things have not worked out the way that either one of them had hoped or either one of them wanted but they're still brothers and that they still will always 
care for one another. And we see a lot of character development in Thor as he's moving away from, quite honestly, being so focused on using his hammer and that his power comes through his hammer and being able to live up to his father after Odin's past. And we really haven't seen all that much character development from Loki. And Thor kind of calls him out on it. He says, you know, brother, you, you could be so much more than what you are. Especially as Thor is going through this personal journey, it's really interesting to watch. Now, as far as the rest of the cast is concerned, again, it's a very, very strong cast. Kate Blanchett does a absolutely wonderful job as Hela. She is dark and menacing and a bit vile when it's called for, but she can also be, and I don't necessarily mean this in a sexual way, but she can be very seductive when she needs to be. I mean, certainly there is probably a sexual component to it, but she very easily draws Carl Urban's scourge into her sway very much, I don't know, initially against his will, but it, it becomes very clear where Scourge starts off as a willing collaborator, that things are getting worse and worse all the time, and, and he is having second thoughts, but he just can't get away from it. He can't convince himself to leap and to do what he knows he should be doing what is right until the very end of the movie. And we get a film adaptation of Scourge's Last Stand as seen in Thor 362, uh, again from Walt Simonson's run on Thor. However, in the film, I just don't think that scene translates as well. I mean, it was great to see. I, I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite as impactful as it was in the comics. And part of me wonders if that is because we're just not anywhere near as invested in Scourge in the cinematic universe as we are in the comics. I mean, we've already been talking about Scourge. In the comics, initially, Scourge is Executioner, who we have seen several times throughout the run of Avengers. We've already covered, right? He's been a member of the Masters of Evil for a while now. By the time we get to 1985 and we get to Scourge's Last Stand, there's been a lot more character development and readers are a lot more invested in Scourge. And I think for a Last Stand moment like that, especially for a secondary character, it takes a lot more investment in order to get that same kick out of it. If Thor were to do something like Scourge did, you say, well, of course Thor's doing it. Thor's the hero. That's what heroes do. But Scourge is a villain and for him to have this change of heart like this, I think it takes time to have that that shift. Once again, Idris Elba as Heimdall is a very good addition to the film. I don't know that he was particularly necessary, and I wouldn't call him a standout. I mean, Idris Elba, pretty much everything he's in, he puts up a very capable performance. He's a very, very talented actor, and I really enjoy seeing him on screen, but there's nothing particularly special about Heimdall in this film to me. Now, the last one, I think, worth covering covering is Jeff Goldblum as the Grand Master, or really the way I like to think of it, especially now having seen the film, is Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster, because he really is in full Jeff Goldblum, Ian Malcolm persona. The Grandmaster, it's very much the stereotypical Jeff Goldblum kind of character. It really is, I think, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park's personality dialed to 11. Now, don't misunderstand, it was a, a lot of fun. I think his character and his persona really helped set the tone for the film. And, you know, the tone for the film is very interesting. At a lot of points, you have this very lighthearted, joking, jovial kind of situation, really as a kind of semi-transparent overlay or, or veneer to a much darker story underneath. 
you know, there is always that undercurrent of Thor has to get back to Asgard. He's got to save Asgard from Hela, from Ragnarok. But then you get sight gags like Thor trying to break the window by throwing a ball at it, and the ball comes back and clocks him in the head. It's a very dramatic moment that gets broken up somewhat abruptly, but not necessarily inappropriately by a really goofy sight gag. And Jeff Goldblum's Grandmaster really just helps solidify that overlay of humor that keeps this from being a super dark, ultra depressing movie. I think that's one of the places Thor The Dark World failed, is that they were trying to go, I don't know, I wouldn't say for gritty, but they certainly took it in a darker direction, both story-wise and quite honestly physically. That was a a physically darker looking film, which wasn't necessarily a good thing. The other really wonderful thing about having the Grandmaster and being that over the top is it, I think it really helped the visuals of the film. And what I mean by that is that this film is exceptionally influenced by Jack Kirby's visual style. And that kind of goes without saying, given the fact that four of your primary characters in this film are all Jack Kirby originated. Thor, Loki, Hela, Scourge, I'm sorry, five. Thor, Loki, Hela, Scourge, and Hulk all started off with Jack Kirby. So the fact that you have so much Jack Kirby influence everywhere from obviously Hela's look to the guards in the Grandmaster's palace, just across the board, there is a lot of little Jack Kirby everywhere. And I think it looks spectacular. Now, the film was budgeted for $180 million, and it very much is obviously $180 million worth of film. There is an extraordinary amount of CGI. The final battle is fairly sizable, and it's an army of the dead fighting against the citizens of Asgard plus our heroes on the Bifrost. So you've got a ton of CGI characters on a CGI rainbow road against a CGI city of Asgard. Now, it all looks really, really good, but there is a ton of animation like that. And, you know, for a lot of these characters... Thor, Loki, Hela, there's a little bit of of CGI involved, but not much. But then you get Hulk, who is entirely CGI. And it's not like Hulk is taking a back seat at this point either. Hulk is front and center fighting with the rest of the heroes. Though, once again, there is a beautiful sight gag in here where Banner tries to help out Valkyrie and jumps out of the plane that Valkyrie's in. And the expectation is that he's going to turn into Hulk. And instead, he just face plants onto the Bifrost as Banner. Now, a couple moments later, he turns into the Hulk, but it's still a really great sight gag, even if you did kind of guess at what was coming. Overall, I think the film was very much shaped by its director, by Mr. Watiti. I think he did a really great job. He's got a very quirky sense of humor. If you look at some of the other films he's done, or other things he's directed, he did 2007's Eagle vs. Shark, and he's done four episodes of Flight of the Concords, and then he did the Team Thor video shorts during Captain America Civil War, all of which have a very unique sense of humor. It's not a bad thing, but it's just a little bit different. And, you know, for someone who is really, he's not done a whole lot of films. He's done some television and some more independent films. I think he did a really good job with this. Now, this goes to something a a friend of mine brings up fairly consistently, and it's the idea that, you know, Marvel's taking these kind of working-level directors and giving them some freedom to do things, but really picking these directors because 
in the end, they can still get what they want out of them and kind of not push them, but guide them into certain paths so that they get a film that they really want. Whereas with bigger name directors, they may run into issues like we're seeing with Ben Affleck with The Batman, or like we saw with Ant-Man and Edgar Wright. Again, Edgar Wright, a very talented director, but he definitely wants to do his own thing, and it did seem to have conflicted with with what Disney wanted. Now, when it comes to the box office, Thor is doing really quite well. Obviously, it is 17 out of 17 when it comes to overall Marvel Cinematic Universe gross numbers, but when it comes to opening weekends, Thor is 7th, just ahead of this year's Spider-Man Homecoming, and just behind 2010's Iron Man 2, with a very respectable $21 million. And in fact, with another solid weekend, maybe two weekends, Ragnarok is very likely going to be the highest of the Thor films in terms of gross, with currently Thor The Dark World has $206 million, and the original Thor has $181 million. So realistically, Ragnarok needs to make about $85 million to bring it up to first place among the Thor films. And at $206 million, I mean, that's still a pretty low figure for a Marvel film that would put it in 12th place behind Doctor Strange. I'm hearing some predictions saying it could be uh, a very high grossing film, which I think everyone would love to see, but I think we'll have to wait and see. It certainly has the word of mouth coming out of this opening weekend that I think is going to drive people into the theaters to go see it. Again, I was very excited about this film coming into it, and overall, I am not disappointed. There are a few minor things I would have changed in the film. Again, I think the Scourge moment just didn't quite carry the same level of impact. Heimdall's character, although again a great performance by Idris Elba, I think was kind of underused. They could have done better things with Heimdall. I was really disappointed at how quickly the Warriors 3 were mercilessly cut down. I am a huge fan of Ray Stevenson's. Uh, I loved his work on Rome. I loved him in Punisher Warzone, even though that was otherwise a nearly irredeemable film. And I really love him as Volstagg. And Volstagg and Fandral went down basically without a fight. And Hogan at least put up a fight, but even he went down too easy. These are some of the greatest warriors in Asgard. They should have been able to put up a little bit more of a fight. I understand the idea is that they're trying to demonstrate how how amazing and dangerous Hela is, but it was kind of disappointing. One final thing I do want to point out, just because I had forgotten about it up until now, but is really spectacular, is the actors in the Tragedy of Loki play. As weird as this sounds, the actors portraying the actors portraying the characters. So, actor Thor is Luke Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth's younger brother. Actor Odin is Sam Neill, and my favorite favorite one is actor Loki is Matt Damon and you can very much tell it is Matt Damon but it's really pretty amusing so again overall I really like the film I would highly recommend if you haven't seen it to get out and see it and if you have seen it go and see it again I can almost guarantee that there are going to be more things you catch on a second or third viewing than you did on the first one and I mean again keeping to our shorter format here I'm not going I could go even further in depth, but I don't want to for time reasons, but there is just so much going on in this film that is so very good. 
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we will be continuing with our regularly scheduled program with Avengers number 42, The Plan and the Power. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.